Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hey, it's Wilfred O. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So I I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org. Or... Call or text 988, available 24-7. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board has been put on ice by the Biden administration and its head, Nina Jankowicz, Soviet Mary Poppins. She's resigned. The news comes just three weeks after the board was announced and follows the emergence of numerous posts and videos in which Jankowicz repeated left-wing talking points on Hunter Biden's laptop and other controversial issues where she was wrong. We'll take a look at the sudden demise of America's Ministry of Truth in tonight's. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The Ministry of Truth under the Biden regime, is kaput. It is done. It is finished. It is over with. They're saying on pause, but I think we all know this is not going to be an idea they're likely to uh, resurrect anytime soon. This was absurd from the get-go. They're already, just so everyone knows at home, all kinds of government entities that do open-source research into foreign press and information that's circulating on the internet, a disinformation board uh, that is within the Department of Homeland security, meaning preventing Americans from thinking that they're getting information that's true, that's really not. 
that put everybody right away on edge, and especially when we found out who was behind it, a left-wing stooge who has a long history of the most absurd partisanship imaginable in public life. But there you go. Soviet Mary Poppins, Nina Jankovic. The uh, disinformation board is not going to be her little fiefdom within the federal government anymore. That's all over with. Now, they're trying to, in some way, make it seem like this is a bad thing and that it's the result of nefarious forces on the right who somehow managed to end what would have otherwise been such an important government entity. The Washington Post, and this was a tale of Lorenz story, the one who cries when people are mean to her online, when she's trying to dox and ruin people's lives professionally all the time. Uh, the Biden administration let left, I'm uh, sorry, let right-wing attacks derail its disinformation efforts. Yeah, let right-wing attacks, as in people figured out who this was, who was going to run the board, and looked at her public statements, and looked at things like her saying the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation. That was itself, as we know, disinformation meant to help throw the election to Joe Biden, and may have even been the difference maker. Who knows? We can never run that experiment again to find out. This is from that Washington Post story. Just three weeks after its announcement, the disinformation governance board is being paused. On Monday, DHS decided to shut down the board, according to multiple people with knowledge of the situation. By Tuesday morning, Jankowitz had drafted a resignation letter in response to the board's dissolution. So this thing lasted just a little bit longer than CNN+. Plus. Obviously not exactly a huge success story from the federal government. But it goes to the broader point about the mentality here. And the mentality of the Democrats who push these ideas is that not only should there be social media companies and other corporations engaged in blatantly partisan censorship, but well beyond that, obviously, there should be government censorship and government rooting out ideas that bothers the left and the Democrats under the guise of it being about public health or safety or just preventing that disinformation from seeping into the public's mind. This is really the definition of Orwellian. This kind of action is exactly what George Orwell in 1984 was uh, warning people about. And now, of course, that the left has been dealt this minor setback in their efforts to be able to decide what is acceptable to be said and what is not, they're making this about how Jankowitz, because she's a woman, of course, is a victim. This is from the Washington Post story, the Taylor Lorenz special here. Within hours of, uh, of her appointment, Jankowitz was thrust in the spotlight by the very forces she dedicated her career to combating. She's been subject to an unrelenting barrage of harassment and abuse, while unchecked misrepresentations of her work continue to go viral. Um, unchecked misrepresentations. Think about what they consider to be disinformation. I mean, think about some of the things that misrepresentations of her work. You mean opinions about how she's kind of a loon who was wrong and always wrong in favor of Democrats. She's a partisan activist, effectively. How is that a misrepresentation? Well, since Ms. Lorenz wants to say that Soviet Mary Poppins over here is somehow misrepresented by the right, they tried so hard to say, oh, she's such an expert, widely respected expert in her field. By whom? I haven't even heard of this person before. And what, the disinformation policing field? Yeah, it's called being able to read, okay? We can all police disinformation on our own. Thank you very much. But since they're claiming 
that there is a lack of context and that that's what's what led to uh, that's what led to Soviet Mary Poppins having to resign from the disinformation board. Let's go back and look at some of the things that this person who was going to be in a role backed up by the Department of Homeland Security to decipher and determine for us what is disinformation, what is not. Here she is talking about how it's not conservatives who are being silenced on social media. Watch. There's already this idea, this allegation <clears throat> that there is anti-conservative bias on the platforms, even though there has been study after study proving, in fact, that often it's liberal voices that are being silenced, particularly minority voices um, on social media. So I think we're going to see more allegations of that. Yeah, it's the libs on Twitter who are being silenced on Facebook, sure, and YouTube. You have to wonder, has she never used those platforms? Um, is she just a very practiced liar and so can look at people, look at a camera in this case, and say something um, that's so obviously false? Or is she just honestly really stupid? It's tough to know which category she would actually fall into. I think you can make a case it's a combination of these things. But clearly to have somebody who would go out there and say the laughably false uh, nonsense about how it's liberal voices being silenced on social media when we know the open, poli the open policies now, thanks to Elon Musk's effort to buy Twitter, for a long time have been, if you divert from the Democrat consensus, they will shut you down on these platforms. Here she is saying that CRT, for example, another area of a real partisan concern for Democrats. Critical race theory has become one of those hot button issues that uh, the Republicans and, and other, you know, disinformers um, who are engaged in disinformation for profit, frankly, there are plenty of, you know, media outlets that are making money off of this too, have, have seized on. And I live in Virginia uh, and in Loudoun County, that's one of the areas um, where people have really honed in on this topic. So really what they've done is they've rebranded this, this term disinformation to give a pseudo-scientific uh, sense, if you will, to efforts to suppress opinions they don't like. An opinion they disagree with becomes disinformation. Or a statement that is generally true, but they can find some instance in which it could be not, not true or not true 100% of the time, they will say it's disinformation. So if I say CRT is being taught in schools, which it is, they'll say, no, that's disinformation. Look at this school. They're not teaching CRT. Yeah, but there are lots of schools where they are all over the country, and that's the point. But you see, they don't want to actually have the debate out in the open. They don't want to actually have a discussion. They want to control what you can say. And then, perhaps most obvious in the whole disinformation realm here from Soviet Mary Poppins, she tweeted back in 2020, on the laptop from hell, apparently, Biden notes that 50 former NATSEC officials um, and five former CIA heads believe the laptop is a Russian influence operation. Trump says Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, friends, those national security officials have been forever uh, they, they now go down in infamy for being morons or stooges for the Democrat Party, lighting their credibility on fire right before an election to try to help Joe Biden win. So we could have this amazing presidency we're all seeing now with a horrible economy, skyrocketing prices, really high price of gas, high inflation, global instability in a really meaningful way, nuclear power at major war in Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of big problems. They did all this, they lied, they destroyed their credibility so we could have this imbecile Joe Biden running the country. These are the people who think they're so smart, they should police your speech. Pretty amazing to think about it. We'll have more on the rise and fall of DHS's disinformation governance board with Deputy Editor of Real Clear Investigations, Ben Weingarten, coming up.
First, let's talk about protecting your home. If you own a home or property, there's two reasons you never want to become a victim of home title fraud. Number one, when a cyber criminal warms his way under your home's title, he'll take out a loan using your home's equity. Then he'll vanish, leaving you to prove you didn't commit fraud. Number two, you could be a victim of home title fraud and not know it for months. No agency notifies you or asks you if you sold your home or added someone else to the title. You'll find out when the collection calls start for those loans you never took, that you never took out. Nobody knows more about how to help stop this crime than Home Title Lock, America's trusted leader. Here's what I urge you to do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from retired FBI agents and others and register your address to see if you're already a victim. When you protect your home, tell them Buck Sexton sent you for 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. We set up essentially an internal working group, and I must say um, that we could, we could have done a better job in communicating what it is and what it isn't. It's a working group that takes best practices with respect to our work that has been going on for years. Mm -hmm. Best practices on how to do that work. The work of addressing disinformation that presents a threat to the security of our country. How to do that work in a way that does not infringe on free speech. That was DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas attempting to explain what exactly the department's disinformation governance board was supposed to do. Apparently his bizarre word salad answer didn't clarify anything because now, less than three weeks later, the group has been disbanded. Media has rallied around the now former head of the board with Washington Post writer Taylor Lorenz claiming that Nina Jankowicz was, quote, a victim of coordinated online attacks. Sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. Let's talk about it. Joining me, Deputy Editor of Real Clear Investigations, Ben Weingarten. Hey, Ben, how you doing? I'm well. How about you, Buck? I mean, I'm obviously going to have to, you know, pour out some Chardonnay in the, in the grass tonight because I'm so sad about the disinformation board, all the tears welling up. What do you think? Well, it was just all the pouncing and seizing by conservatives who engaged in a coordinated disinformation campaign to take out the DGB. And, of course, the irony that it was Taylor Lorenz talking about you know, essentially, I guess the cyber bullying here that took out the DGB is just beyond parody and ironic in so many different ways. Uh, look, obviously, I think it's a, it's a it's a good development that they ended this DGB. But as I've been arguing in print and in speech since it was first announced and the controversy began around it, 
even if the DGB is taken out, it has to be seen in its broader context as just one organ of a much broader war on wrong think. And that war on wrong think started with the creation of a national strategy for countering domestic terrorism, first of its kind, which talked about in June of last year when it was published, confronting long-term contributors to domestic terrorism, including misinformation and disinformation that led ultimately to the DHS to put out a threat bulletin in February of this year, talking about the fact that we face a heightened threat environment due to mis, dis, and malinformation. Of course, that is information the regime doesn't like on matters like the coronavirus or election integrity or immigration. Then you had the advent of the DGB. But even if the DGB is gone and they say it's paused and self-proclaimed disinformation, Mary Poppins, Nina Jankowitz is out, the whole edifice has to be torn out root and branch. And I hope lawmakers and activists see this for what it is. A victory in one battle, but there's a much larger war that's going on, and it's against a free-thinking, free-speaking, free-acting American people. I wanted to give you a chance to react to the White House press secretary, the new White House press secretary. Here's a Corrine Jean-Pierre, who seems to be saying the board, the, the misinformation or disinformation board, was shut down because of all the disinformation out there. Watch. To continue. So, so if it's pausing because you think the board was mischaracterized, then the disinformation board is being shut down because of disinformation? Is that what's happening here? Look, I mean, the, the board was put forth for a purpose, right? To make sure that we really did, a, a, a really did address what was happening across the country when it came to disinformation. It's going to pause. There's been a mischaracterizations from outside, uh, outside forces. And so now what we're going to do is going to we're going to pause it and we're going to do an assessment. But the work, does, the work doesn't stop. We're still going to continue the work. The DHS is still going to continue the work. Okay. What do you make of that? Well, that last line, I think, is the most telling line. The work doesn't stop. I mean, they've said that wrong thinkers pose the premier threat to the homeland. And when she says work doesn't stop, that is probably the most genuine part of that entire word salad of a statement. She didn't have to look at her notes for that one, though. So I do give her credit for that because I think she's passionate about this issue. And the administration is. The notion that this was just a, a failure of messaging, when you're trying to explain a failure of messaging, you know that you've lost, and they've lost on the merits. They've lost because even if this really was focused on true disinformation, and obviously it wouldn't have been because the person running this was a great spewer of untruth when it came to Russiagate writ large. She touted Christopher Steele's work. She's someone who said that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation, which was, of course, the greatest American information operation going into the 2020 election of all. She was the last arbiter of truth, but we shouldn't have arbiters of truth in government, period, full stop. And that's the real issue here, is that these are not the people who ought to be determining fact from fiction and telling us that it's dangerous to hear ideas they don't like. A free thinking people ought to be able to decide for ourselves, weigh the merits, look at things reasonably and come to our own response. When the regime goes out there and tries to tell us what's truth and what's fiction, it undermines itself ironically. What was the real purpose of it? I mean, what, what do you think they thought when they set this up under the Biden DHS, the DGB, as you've been calling it, which, you know, I've uh, I got to say, we give it an acronym, it almost feels like it's real, but maybe it will be real at some point. What do you think they thought they were going to do with this thing? 
Well, look at their words and look at their actions. So when the DHS, after the controversy started over this, they put out this sort of fact sheet, which said you know, this was going to be focused on irregular migration, that is mass illegal immigration into the country. And they, they said they were focused on disinformation from cartels, for example, spewing disinformation about our border policies. Okay, well, you have to question, we, it would have been nice to have examples of that because are they saying that if you talk about the fact we have open borders, that's dangerous disinformation? I think that might prove to be truth or closer to truth than fiction. And then also Russian disinformation going into the midterm elections. That's a pretty broad brush, Russian disinformation. This coming again from a bureau that was gonna be headed by someone who said Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation and who said that Russiagate was real essentially and continued to tout that to the bitter end. Then the fact that the DHS said this was not going to be operational, yet it was going to coordinate not only across the DHS, but across other federal agencies as well. In effect, that makes it operational because the DHS has operational components that it was gonna be coordinating with, as do the other agencies that presumably it would have worked across. But this work, as the new press secretary herself has indicated, not only persists, but it happened before. I mean, go back to last year, you'll recall, and I'm sure your viewers will recall, when Jen Psaki was talking about the fact that the administration was flagging disinformation for Facebook and other social media companies. And she said that those who spew dangerous disinformation on these platforms if one platform deplatforms you, all the platforms should deplatform you. They've been the most ardent attackers of purported disinformation. But then, of course, particularly when it comes to coronavirus, what they've put out as truth, they've gone back on, and the disinformation they used to censor becomes the regime's official narrative. So once again, these are the last people who should be involved with this. They have leaned on big tech companies to pursue wrong thinkers. And that's a dangerous place to be in America because then you get into First Amendment violations by proxy. And I think we've seen that in spades from this administration. That's where it goes from theoretical to operational in the real world. And even worse than just government tyranny, private sector tyranny on behalf of the government. Do you ever think that this administration maybe had a couple of people who actually read Orwell's 1984 and were like, it's a cool idea? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wrote in the New York Post a week ago, if you were trying to undermine your legitimacy and discredit yourself, what would you do but set up a ministry of truth inside your domestic security apparatus and then put this person, Nina Jankowicz, in charge of it? I mean, it would almost be the greatest false flag operation of all time if it was actually secretly conservatives within the administration plotting to create this. But unfortunately, we're not living in fiction, we're living in a real world. And I actually think they believe there's wisdom in this because they equate views that are dangerous to their agenda with dangers to our democracy. And when they say our democracy, what they mean is their power, their privilege, their authority. But yeah, Orwell provides a pretty good playbook for them. Disaster for the country, but it's good at least that Amer Americans are being exposed to the true tyranny at the end of the day, where the progressive agenda ultimately leads. Ben, always astute, sir. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. A big night for former President Donald Trump as the majority of the candidates he endorsed cruised to victory in state primaries. We'll take a look at the results of the big races with CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan, we come back. First, let's talk about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication will be hosted on data centers in Switzerland. So big tech spying, not an issue. Privacy is a big concern right now. You want to make sure you actually 
stop the constant theft of your digital identity, you need Secure. It costs only $5 for the Messenger, only $10 for the Messenger and email combination package. Go to Secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. And use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. Looks like former President Trump still has long coattails as 23 of the 27 candidates he backed going to last night's primaries won their races. But it's still not over in the state of Pennsylvania, where a key race that could shape the future of the Senate is still undecided. Trump-backed celebrity doctor Mehmet Oz holds a razor-thin advantage over former finance executive David McCormick as the vote count continued into today. Here was Dr. Oz to his supporters last night. When all the votes are tallied, I am confident we will win. We are making a ferocious charge, but when it's this close, what else would you expect? Everything about this campaign has been tight. Joining me now with Reaction American Majority CEO, Ned Ryan, our friend. Ned, good to see you, buddy. Good to be with you, Buck. So, was this pretty much exactly what you expected? What are your what are your top takeaways from this last night, man? What do you see? Boy, it was a lot. It was a lot closer than I thought it would be, Buck. I really? Mean, going into wow. it, yeah. Looking at the Trafalgar poll and Susquehanna, I really thought it'd be Oz and then Barnett and then McCormick. Uh, what I think happened, and, and perfectly understandable, is that that Barnett and Oz split the MAGA vote. Uh, obviously, Oz had the Trump endorsement and that took some of the MAGA crowd with him and Barnett took the rest and allowed McCormick to run right up the middle. And, and again, for those that were watching, McCormick had an 8,000 vote lead for most of the night. Uh, and then Oz, as, as of this afternoon, uh, Oz, I think, has about a 3,000 vote lead. You know, I think they're still counting some mail-in uh, ballots. Uh, it will go to a recount. I mean, less than half a point in Pennsylvania triggers a recount. But if, if Oz holds to a two to 3,000 vote lead, uh, I don't see any recount overturning that election, but but a lot closer than I thought it would be. Fun. Now, what do you make of all the analysis around the Trump endorsement component of this? People are trying to say his influence is still pretty dominant, um, but it is. What do you what do you make of it? No, it, it is when when you have a very clear cut, basically a two person race, as we saw in Ohio. You know, JD was down six points before the endorsement wins by eight. Uh, you start to look at some of these other Senate races. There was a poll that just came out of Missouri showing Eric Greitens in the lead by nine, but also showing that whoever Trump endorses gets about a 23-point bump uh, from that. Uh, we've seen the same looking at Arizona Senate's uh, primary as well. It's about a 21-point bump for whoever gets the Trump endorsement if it really narrows down to just a couple people. When it gets to a really hotly contested three-way race, it's still the difference, but you're just not going to see as significant a bump especially when there's two MAGA candidates, quote unquote. Yeah, I mean, what did you think were the key differences for the electorate in Pennsylvania? I mean, I know you're not far away there in Virginia, but uh, what do you think were the, the, the key differentiation points specifically between McCormick and Oz? Well, McCormick, I'll, I'll start with McCormick because I, I was in the category of fuck anybody but McCormick. Uh, because of his very close ties and then the fact that he's made a lot of money doing direct business with the Chinese, uh, communist Chinese. Uh, and that to me was was one of the reasons. Again, Oz is no conservative rock star. Uh, and I think everybody's fully aware of that. 
uh, but he's been loyal to Trump. And I think that those were some of the dynamics that came down to McCormick had said some things January 6th uh, about Trump. And that really resonated with Trump, not in a positive way. Uh, Oz was very helpful to Trump in 2016. So it really came down to just some bigger issues for Trump and, and endorsing Oz over McCormick. And then when it came down to some of these issues, it's it's the normal stuff uh, and, and looking at immigration, inflation, all these things. But this really came down to, like, is it going to be the Trump endorsement or is it going to be McCormick? And, and in my mind, honestly, Buck, to be, to be very blunt, I didn't care who won as long as it wasn't McCormick. Well, we still don't know, right? So we're still looking to see who ends up uh, in the victory in the victory circle here. Just wondering also, Kathy Barnett really got a lot of attention in the last few weeks uh, and seemed to be surging. Looks like the polls maybe gave her a, a bigger piece of this than, than ended up happening. Uh, what, what do you make of, of her part in this, in this really pivotal race? You know, I, I think there were a lot of people in the base that, that didn't trust Oz uh, and were looking for an alternative. They didn't like McCormick. They didn't trust Oz looking for an alternative. Uh, Barnett crop, crops up, and, and, and there you have it. I got to tell you, Buck, I'm, I'm not really having fully formulated a theory on this, but I suspect that there's some machinations that took place end of April when Joni Ernst, of all people, endorses Barnett, which seemed to me a very weird endorsement. I got to tell you, I, I suspect there's some, some, something going on here with people trying to split the MAGA vote. And again, I haven't fully fleshed out this theory, but it seems very convenient that Barnett comes in, gets these endorsements, gets Club for Growth's $2 million ad buy coming down the home stretch. I think in a way to kind of split the vote and hopefully McCormick runs up the middle. I haven't fully fleshed out this theory, but there's something going on there, Buck, that uh, strikes me as not quite straightforward as, as people would like it to be. So... Ned, I got to ask you about the endorsements on the Democrat side. I mean, Buck, Biden is the massive albatross around Democrats' necks everywhere. Uh, you, you're seeing Democrats uh, in, in some of these upper Rust Belt states, even today in Wisconsin, a potential U.S. Senate candidate, the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin, distancing herself and going after Biden over inflation. Uh, I'm going to be running away from him as fast as possible because they realize with his unpopularity, with his approval ratings uh, so low, he's not going to be helping them at all in these midterms. I think he's going to be dragging them down. And honestly, Buck, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers, the generic polls, the inflation, all of these things, and, and gas prices going up, Biden continuing to tank, the stock market tanking. I'm thinking there's going to be 15 or 20 Republicans running for the House this fall that have no right to win, and they're going to somehow pull it out. And I think you're going to see states like Colorado uh, suddenly come into play because I think things are going to continue to trend that badly for Democrats uh, to where I think they're going to be looking at losing three, four, five Senate seats. Uh, again, dozens upon dozens of House seats. I, I know some want, don't want to say more than 20 uh, Republican gains. I'm thinking 30, 40, 50 or, or, or more, depending on how bad it gets. So I think you're looking at total annihilation at the federal level, then look at the statewides as well. I mean, Biden is going to absolutely tank Democrats at the federal, state, and local election this fall, and I couldn't be happier. Dr. Oz, by the way, thanked President Trump last night. We know the race is not yet decided officially, but here's Dr. Oz. President Trump 
After he endorsed me, he continued to lead into this race in Pennsylvania. He knows all the subtleties of it. He was willing to participate with Teletown Halls, which he advised that I do. It was a brilliant idea. Uh, he participated in a, in a massive rally uh, out in <clears throat> Westmoreland County. And uh, God bless you, sir, for putting so much effort into this race. I will make you proud. How do you think Oz, let's assume it's Oz for a second. Could still be McCormick. Right. But Assuming it's Oz, how does he stack up against the likely Democrat opposition? Well, he's going to be competitive. I, I think not only Oz, but Mastriano at the, in the gubernatorial race in a year like 2022. It's not, it's, Pennsylvania is never an easy state to win. I think it's going to be highly competitive. I like our odds of winning both the Senate and the gubernatorial race. Uh, I'm happy to hear you say that about Mastriano, because I got to tell you, I know a bunch of, a bunch of very pro-Trump people, Ned, who, who think that that was... That was uh, the word disaster has been thrown around a lot. I, I, I don't see it that way, Buck. You know, I know that a lot of people wanted to see him endorse Barletta. He went with Mastriano. I think he's actually a pretty solid candidate. Uh, in a year like 2022, if people will actually focus, not abandon the state, I think we could, we could pull out both of those statewide. All right, my friend. I certainly hope you're right. And you tend to be. So let's see how it shakes out. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell spooked the markets by announcing the Fed is willing to take dramatic action to prevent the rise of inflation, including rising, uh, raising rather, interest rates. The first TV's TNLO stops by to give an update on America's struggling economy. The labor market is extremely tight and inflation is much too high. Against this backdrop, today the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by a half percentage point and anticipates that ongoing increases in the target rate for the federal funds rate will be appropriate. In addition, we are beginning the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. We are on a path to move our policy rate expeditiously to more normal levels, assuming that economic and financial conditions evolve in line with expectations. Chairman Jerome Powell stating that the Federal Reserve will not stop raising interest rates until inflation is dealt with. Powell's recent statement spooked the market, sending stocks into a nosedive that continued today. So what are the coming days going to hold if the Fed decides it's time to raise those interest rates? Going to be now to discuss the first TV's contributor here, Tina Lowe. Tina, good to see you. Hey, Buck. Good to see you even under these very weird circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough day in the market, that's for sure. And it looks like it's only going to get rougher. What are you seeing? Yes. So just remember, Jerome Powell is refusing to save the stock market this time because he cannot save the stock market this time. You know, Powell and the Fed board, including Lael Brainard, who was recently renominated by Joe Biden and confirmed by the Senate to be the vice chair of the Fed board, they were crucial doves, not even just, you know, in the years of the pandemic, agreeing to to keep at the you know, outlier of basically 0%. But even in March, in the first Fed board meeting of the year, while inflation, you know, you had that uh, producer price index figure inflation catapulting up and towards the double digits, you know, that after in March, um, CPI came out 8.5%. And Powell and Brainerd were part of the votes that voted to keep the interest rate increase at quarter percentage point, not a half percentage point because of, wait for it, Ukraine. It's always Ukraine, right? 
And so now Powell realizes that there's nothing left to do. He has to keep on raising rates. He's not going to rule out the 75 basis point increases. And now the markets are spooked. But the fact is, it's too little too late. If this had begun, you know, in 2021, if he had committed to chase that uh, perennial white whale of the left and of the progressive uh, financial movement of maximum employment, which just figure this one out, it doesn't actually exist. But then at least markets would have known that they could have predicted a quarter percentage point rate increase every single meeting. And that way we wouldn't be looking at, you know, 75 basis points. So yeah, now investors are spooked because they realize the bubble is about to burst. This is a massive, massive, massive explosion of asset price inflation that predated COVID, but COVID made it orders of magnitude worse. An article from USA Today reads that stocks are moving lower after Powell makes a case for aggressive rate hikes. So what is going to happen to the market if rates keep rising in this way over the long term? So, you know, I don't know if you saw, for instance, the, that show called We Crashed, which was about the WeWork IPO, you know, or the Uber uh, bio doc that they did. You had all these tech companies or companies that weren't tech companies, but managed to sort of build themselves a tech companies that were either slated to have these unicorn IPOs or came out and had sort of disappointing IPOs. The fact is, is that by the Fed keeping the price of lend or the price of borrowing near zero for a decade of sustained economic growth, it allowed banks and investors to fund a lot of junk companies. You know, I'm a little bit more bullish on Uber than other people are, but there are tons of companies in the market that should not have the valuation that they do. You look at things like a like Away Travel, which is just a suitcase company that managed to rebuild itself as tech. Airbnb, which is really just an algorithm in a marketplace. All of these companies, even the ones that aren't publicly traded, have been massively overvalued. And you're going to see them take a real hit. And the only ones that are going to be left standing are the mega giants that have been able to establish some sort of monopolistic power. You're still going to have Walmart. You're still going to have Amazon. You're still going to have big oil. But a lot of these companies that have been able to, you know, skate by with these overvaluated, you know, markets, this is really going to hurt those. The one thing I can say in the long run, and this is why Powell should have been encouraging the rest of the Fed board to raise interest rates earlier back in last year, as soon as Joe Biden was taking office, that's not even to mention all of the quantitative easing that should have never happened at the beginning of pandemic, is that you would have been encouraging better saving. If you try and open up a savings account right now, best rate, I made sure to double check it, best rate you could get is half a percentage point at Barclays and half a percentage point at Amex. That is the best savings rate you can get for just a standard savings account. You look at CDs, you look at any private, you look at any private investment fund you can use if you're not a category. If you're not categorized as an investor without purchasing property, without purchasing stocks, it is very, very, very low. In the long run, as these rate increases are sustained, it does mean that people will be able to get savings accounts with better rates, which is great because not only do you take more liquidity out of the market, which is what's really driving inflation right now, 
but you're also encouraging people to be more responsible with their money because they actually have an incentive to save it rather than spend it. Same man who says he's going to keep hiking up interest rates is the guy telling us it's going to be very challenging to fight inflation, Tina. Watch this one. A lot of people, though, are skeptical that you can get inflation down to your 2% goal uh, without a recession. What, what do you know that they don't? I don't know anything that they don't. I mean, I, I would say it, it's there's no disagreement here, really. It is it is a going to be a challenging task, and it's been made more challenging in the last couple. Of um, he 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 didn't know that pumping in you know three trillion dollars into the economy in a span of two months uh, was going to create this this monetary crisis with an overvaluation of everything where no one was saving money. He didn't know. You know, back in March 2021, when Larry Summers, who again is a liberal, was saying, do not pass these extra spending bills. Do not keep rates at these historic lows. I mean, hell, you even have Ben Bernanke, one of the most toxic people in the world of finance, in my opinion, because he's the one who pushed for the original regime of quantitative easing after the Great Recession of 08. Even he's admitting that the Fed sat on their hands for too long before really raising rates. And now Powell's trying to fight off the expectation that we're going to hit a recession. The fact is, when you wait this long, that's an inevitability because it's either you, you know, take the immediate hit of decreasing growth, having some job loss, which quite frankly isn't going to be that big of a deal considering the crisis we have in employment anyway. Versus having everyone's savings be reduced down to nothing. And that is that is unacceptable. We cannot have the value of the US dollar collapse. So the recession becomes an inevitability. And you know, he's gonna still try selling this. We're gonna have a soft landing BS, but that's just to cover his own derriere, so to speak. So to speak. Tina, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Buck. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is getting serious about the baby formula shortage, claiming it might be time to have some indictments. We'll get the video for you in Quick Hits up next. Elon Musk abandons Democrats and a Twitter executive reveals what he really thinks about Twitter users. We have those stories in Quick Hits. Let's get right to it. Look, Elon Musk is the left's nightmare these days um, because this is the richest man in the world who was a former Democrat by his own admission, who really has just decided he's seen that the Democrat Party is completely insane and he no longer in good conscience can allow them to do the things they're doing in this country and have the domination of social media they've had. Here he is, for example, telling everybody that he's actually going to be voting for the GOP in this election for the first time ever. And, um, you know, the, the, the reality is uh, that, that Twitter at this point, you know, has uh, a very far left bias. Um, and I, I would classify myself as, as a moderate and you know, neither Republican nor, nor Democrat. Um, and in fact, uh, I have voted, voted overwhelmingly for Democrats uh, historically, overwhelmingly. Like, I'm, I'm not sure I, I might never have voted for a Republican, just to be clear. Right. Um, now, now, this election, I will. This election, he will. Why? Because. The Republican Party is the party of free speech now and free thought and freedom, period. The Democrats are the party of autocracy, authoritarianism, censorship, wokeness, indoctrination for your kids. Crazy what they're pushing. And we all know it. We all see it. This is from uh, Project Veritas, by the way, continuing on with this theme about Twitter here. 
you know, there are people that claim, by the way, we have the disinformation czars say that, oh, it's really, it's not conservatives who are being silenced, it's liberals who are being silenced on social media, which is such a stupid comment that it's hard to imagine anybody would say it out loud with a straight face, but she did. Here is, this is from Project Veritas, their work, a Twitter executive who is mocking Elon Musk for thinking the public can make their own decisions about what should go on Twitter. Watch. Well, right now we don't make profit, so it's going to say ideology, which is what's led us to not being profitable. The rest of us who have been here believe in something that's good for the planet and not just to give people free speech. These are the policies we put in place for misinformation or mislabeling media. Yeah. It's going to be hard for him to be like, oh, because people should make their own decision. It's like, no, but people don't know how to make a rational decision if you don't put out correct things that are supposed to be out in the public. It's amazing that these are the people that work at Twitter and they think they're smarter than you. You know? Stop for that for a second. You have these. Honestly, these like women and gender studies majors from Oberlin who burrow into a place like Twitter and they work for like community health standard or something in a social media company or, you know, health, community conversation health or something. And they think they should be telling you what you can say. Amazing. Scary, honestly. Pelosi realizes the baby formula shortage thing is just a bigger concern for her than anything else is that it's politically really damaging for Democrats on, on top of all the other things going on right now. Here she is talking about the possible need for an indictment. Watch. When it comes to babies, it's the here and now and in this moment. I think that when the, all of this is done, I'm not associating my colleagues with what I'm going to say right now. I'm just saying it myself. I think there might be a need for indictment. Indictment? Indict who? That's what I would want to know. Who does she think should get indicted for this? For a company not making enough baby formula? How is that going to go? And then there's this, speaking of living in an alternate universe, this is a witness for a, pro, a pro-abortion group. They don't, decide, they don't say pro-choice, they actually say pro-abortion, this group, on Capitol Hill today, saying that, yeah, men can get pregnant and have abortions. Watch. Um, what do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Okay. Um, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. Men can get pregnant and have abortions. Supposedly a women's rights leader there. Yeah. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's gold star, fallen first responder, smart home, and homeless veteran programs comprise their in-the-line-of-duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes 
Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.